Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? Uh, well, I, I was okay until I watched this film, but but please don't call me Julian. I prefer my stage name, DJ Trauma. <laughs> yes, I believe you are You are sort of coming to me from the hell dimension. Um, the... Yes, otherwise known as the United States of Trump. That's, that is true. Um, we're not much better, you know. The United, <laughs> the United Kingdom of Boris. But yes, we are today going to be talking about the nineteen ninety seven um, film Event Horizon, or as I like to call it, Clive Barker Solaris. Um, this is a, an unusual film that has a, a hell of a bit of a quite a legacy. And obviously there are rumours, and we will talk about things like the alluded to director's cut, mm. um, and some of the things I learnt uh, doing some bit of research for this film is some of the things that you do get to see in this, and who was actually used in those scenes um, of the crew in the hellscape. Um, mm. we, we, we will get to that. Um, it was one of those moments when you're reading something, you just go, oh! Fair enough. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Is it? Well, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know that stuff. No, I didn't until I read this thing. It's weird. Anyway, we'll get <laughs> to that. So, um, that is what it is. But let, before we get into the plot, we will give the plot in a minute. But uh, before we get to that, so Julian, what were your are your first thoughts then talking about uh, Event Horizon? Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it. Uh, there's a lot that I don't understand about this movie. Mm. Um, uh, but I think that for now, the most telling thing is I have seen this movie before and forgot that I had seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Matt? Yeah. So not both sort of like similar and different. Like I, I, this was my choice to go on the list for this season. And it's not the film I remember. It, for me, this film was like I remember seeing this a few years, quite a few years ago. And was like, oh, no, yeah, this is one of those films. It's like it's kind of cool it's sort of underrated and it's got this and this in it and i come back to it and i'm like oh no no this film is just a mess <laughs> um yeah and it's so sort of covered in tropes and it you know and stuff that and cliches um but without having it sort of like it's tongue in its cheek or anything like that it, it's it's done serious it's sort of it's quite wearing what it's only, not even a long film this film's like 90, just under 90 minutes, about 90 something minutes long. And it, I'll be honest with you, I felt that I felt the time of this film. <laughs> yeah. Not going to lie. Mean, it does sort of like, well, I mean, it doesn't start well. It starts with sort of like a bunch <laughs> of on screen titles that are like 
yeah. why is this taking so long? None of this is really that relevant information. Um, yeah. and, and then you sort of like, you get into it and you think like, okay, this dialogue's not good, but like they're going somewhere. Like there are things here that might be promising. And by the time that you're really into sort of halfway through or something, you're just like, yeah, this is really just bad. This is just not no. enjoyable. No. When you say that, then it, it rem you reminded me then very much of a, a review that Blackadder, will, you know, has given to things of sort of like, well, you know, it didn't start well, and you know, uh, well, less said about the best, the middle, the better, uh, and the end was a complete disaster. But other than that, it's a rousing success. <laughs> well, there's truth to that. I mean, in as much as there's a version of this movie, we always say this, but there's a version mm. of this movie that is really good and interesting. And there are yes. ideas here. This is not a horrible movie on the concept level. It just no. is a horrible movie on the execution level. Yes. And we will get to like the full version. That's another, I think it's 15 to 20 minutes longer. Um, the original, like, you know, the, the director's cut uh, and the stuff that was taken out. I don't think it makes a hell of a much more sense, but mm -hmm. You know, it comes down to the director. But before we get into that, we'll give you a plot. For those that haven't seen this masterpiece and the complexity of the plot, although it's not that it's complex, it just becomes a bit bamboozling towards the end, I would say. So here we go. Event Horizon. In 2040, the Event Horizon was launched on a deep space exploration mission using an experimental faster-than-light propulsion. It disappeared in what was considered one of the worst space exploration disasters of the 21st century. Seven years later, the event horizon reappears orbiting Jupiter and sends out a distress call. The rescue ship, the Lois and Clark, is sent to intercept the returning ship and salvage whatever they can. Captained by Miller, Lawrence Fishburne, with his crew, played by Kathleen Quinnan, Jolie Richardson, Richard T. Jones, Jake, uh, Jack Noseworthy, Jason Isaac and Sean Pertwee. I would name the characters, but it seems pointless because I'm going to just refer to them as actors in this. Mm. Um, they are accompanied by the scientist that helped develop the Event Horizon's propulsion, Dr. William Weir, played by Sam Neill. When they reach the Event Horizon, the crew starts, uh, starts its search and finds evidence of violence, but actual, no actual trace of the crew. As they continue their search, the experimental gravity drive activates and pulls in a member of the crew, Justin, and issues a shockwave that shakes the event horizon and damages the Lewis and Clark, forcing the crew, the whole crew, to stay on the event horizon. Justin soon returns, now in a catatonic state. While repair work starts on the Lewis and Clark, members of the crew start to experience strange visions of past failures and regrets. As things get stranger, Justin comes round and attempts suicide in a decompression chamber. He is saved by Miller, but is critically injured. As the crew attempt to find out what has been happening, they discover a video which shows the original crew of the Event Horizon before the gravity drive was started. They are celebratory and excited. The video then cuts it to some, to some time after the drive had been engaged, and they are now engaged in an orgy of sex and mutilation. Panicked, the crew of the Lois and Clark work faster to get their ship fixed and escape. However, Dr. Weir has been having visions of his wife, who committed suicide several years before, and has been giving more information about the ship. This, combined with, with what they learned from the studying the video, they're able to ascertain that the gravity drive opened a gateway to a hellish dimension and drove the crew to commit the violent act seen on the video. 
In addition to this, the ship itself has gained a level of sentience and is now working its way through the crew. Miller decides to destroy the Event Horizon, but Weir, now possessed by the ship, has other plans. He wants to reactivate the drive and return to the Hell Dimension. He's succe- this is where it gets really convoluted in a one paragraph. Now? He successfully, yeah, he successfully destroys the Lois and Clark with explosives, but during the fight on the bridge, Weir is shot into space and killed. While Miller attempts to separate the Event Horizon so they can return to Earth, he is ta- attacked by an apparition which changes into Weir. While they fight, Miller is able to detonate the explosives, sacrificing himself and separating the ship so the others can escape. 72 days later, the surviving crew are rescued, but it is revealed that Weir is one of the rescue crew. Is this a nightmare or have they been trapped in the hellish dimension? Okay, so I have a few notes. First of all, I think it's it's Neptune, not Jupiter. Sorry, Uh, yes. uh, But that's the only factual note. I mean, the... Um, the other thing I'd say is like, it's not clear to me at all that the ship really is sentient, despite these comments of like the ship is, I mean, it, it seems like they just went into the hell dimension and it's clearly like sort of possessing weir, but this is something they talk about, but is never, there's never any evidence for. And among the things that makes no sense, I mean, I would say at the end, it's done as if it's a hallucination, like, you know, mm-hmm. weird disappears. And then it's just like, OK, this was just like trauma or something. Although, you know, you're left to think was something it left in her brain, you know. But, is, yeah, but it's left with that sort of like the ominous mm-hmm. uh, portal door shutting. You know, it's supposed to feel ominous, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is, I, I mean, nothing about the explosions makes any sense in this movie. But when, you know. I will say, you remember all the times they separate the saucer section on Next Generation? <laughs> yeah. The most efficient way of doing that is to use explosives along the, you know, yeah. uh, that, that, that's how you want to design a vehicle. And if that's where the explosions are, then why does it explode the main section? I mean, they're basic things like this that don't make sense. Oh yeah, no, no. Like that, uh, going back to this film this time, when they talk about separating the the, the front and the back of the ship, and one being like a, a you know an arc being shot in space as a rescue ship, and they say we've got to detonate the the bit that connects it. Even I'm like, is that how it's designed? Like even Red Dwarf, even a TV show had covered this off. And they have a section jettisoned, and they're like, oh no, no, we've got two doors, and they close off, and it's it, like. It's not hard. Like as you say, this is one of those concepts in sci-fi films that has been done to death a hundred times, and it's not hard to lo- go look at one and go, "Oh yeah, that's how it should be done." Airlocks, airlocks, and you know, separating doors. It's not well, hard. Presumably, they have an airlock to that sort of uh, Eiffel Tower like lattice work. Do they? I, you never see one. It's just no, a you long never track. See it's, it's a long, long track. <laughs> well, okay, well, the, the, this is part of the deeper problem here, which is what the hell is the layout of these ships? Like, you know, right. this is a problem in a lot of movies. Yeah. But, like, you know, you see them walking through that latticework corridor, and it should be, it's like a mile long. I mean, it, it is a long, but you only, it only takes a second. Yeah. Um, and if you detonate, I mean, if that is the shouldn't there? I mean, presumably there's some sort of door uh, into that corridor that's been closed. 
but wouldn't you be tailing like wrecked lattice work structure behind you left from the explosion? No, it just detonates clearly leaving the, you know, escape section. This is, this is where um, design over function really is ridiculous. Um, and there's there's two things to point out, really. There's a, there's a couple to mention. Firstly, like you say, about the, that lattice work, that sort of like the iron or steel framework, there's basically the scaffolding that holds the thing together. It's one of the dumbest designs because, like, you go, right, we're going to jettison this ship into space, right? We're going to launch into space with this massive weak link in the middle of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. that if it is struck by a meteorite or something else in space, is going to completely destroy the rest of the ship. We just seem to have built into the design this massive flaw. It's ridiculous. However, let's not. We are taking this film on face value as a sci-fi film, which it is. However, this film is. Um, this film is. Um, Hell House, or yeah. the House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, and that and the the event horizon. When when looked at from above is a big cross. Yes. And they think that's clever. Yes, they do. And they have a window which gets shot out that is a cross shape. Yeah. Because that is the most efficient way of inserting glass into a metal structure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which can be penetrated by a crossbow from a harpoon. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what you want. You want a lot of harpoons on your on your spaceship. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit like the drive room as well. It's one of those things again, like you say, where you know form over function. Like the drive room, this thing with it, this this massive orb with the three magnetic hoops going around it, mm. and then the entire room is just covered in these spikes. You know, like Spawn's bedroom or something. <laughs> it, it, it feels nineties, but one of the points is that you know. If that, like each of those spikes had a purpose, they were like, okay, the room has to be shaped like this for the compression. Even if it was just some scientific gobbledygook, I wouldn't care. But they're like, oh no, we had to design it in this way for, I don't know, like it, it suppresses, you know, gamma rays or some other shit. I don't care. But the fact they walk. Shoot those little spikes, they shoot the gravitons into the center. Yeah, yeah sure. Something. Something. Something not... beyond this is an outtake from uh, Dark Knight Metal. Exactly. Yeah. That's what, yeah, exactly. That's all this is. Because yeah. all we talk about is the, th- is the three rings circulating. And I'm going like, what about the rest of the stuff? Ah, oh, no, we just thought that was cool. Like, you know, okay. that's metal. <laughs> While we're on that design, all right? I mean, it's a cool design. It There's is. a lot of design work in this that I do like, mm. even though it makes no sense. And there's no attempt to explain it. So two additional things about this that trouble the hell out of me. There's no explanation for everything except Weir explains when those three circles, which, you know, again, cool design. They've got lights on yeah, them yeah. and everything. When they converge, it opens up uh, a gravity well and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> okay. Except you're watching them converge constantly. Constantly. <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't make any sense. The, the, way they, the way they are spinning, the way they are spinning, like, yeah, they will all converge, even for, a, it might be for a fraction of a second, but they do it constantly. <laughs> yeah, every 30 seconds or so. Yeah. Yeah. so. What are you talking about? Then there's a standing pool of water underneath, which yeah. is the trope yeah. of, like, you know, all spaceships, 
going back to like Alien, have to have to be just dripping wet. Never mind that water is precious in space, and we're worried. There, there's a whole plot that they're worried about a ticking time bomb of running out of air. Yeah, but but they clearly have water. You know, that's H two O. There's an O in that, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, right. One of the things, one of the things I find is exactly what, there's that there's that pool of water, and they find it pretty quick. Yeah. Because they, they're all in their suits, aren't they, when they find it, right? And this is this is the Prometheus sort of um, issue. They're all walking around, and one of the things, before the gravity, you know, early CGI as well, we'll note that the early CGI in some of the scenes, they've got the floating things. And, one, and Lawrence Fishburne says, uh, it's clearly, it's, uh, it's some justification, but he says there's ice crystals in the air, the temperature, you know, whatever, temperatures, whatever. And then they walk into a room with a pool of water. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that not frozen? <laughs> You've literally just said that there are ice crystals covering everything apart from this room that has a pool of water. Like, I know you're trying to single out a special, but it just, and no one paid, no one goes, well, that's weird. It, yeah. Yeah, well, there's no explanation for the spikes. There's no explanation for these things converging. And, you know, it's not like a line of dialogue that says, like, it runs hot would yeah. be able to, I mean, but... They can't be bothered with that. The other thing is, um, apparently, lighting in outer space is designed to pulsate on and off constantly. <laughs> That's the in most efficient. Yeah, inducing seizures is important in space. <laughs> yes, when you're working on the br- on a bridge of like the Starship Enterprise with all these detailed computers, where if you press the right thing, it, it triggers a coolant leak. What you want is the light to be pulsing on and off disorienting you yeah it, 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 the, the only other thing i like oh no i don't like the other thing to highlight in this ship as well uh, one of the characters dies at the end of the film and again because th- there's no proactive deaths in this they're all sort of um act, you know scenes accidents or whatever or you know there's no like, slasher moment particularly but um um the one of the female crew members she's obviously she's pining after her her son, who she's, you know, he's left back on Earth with her ex-husband and all this other stuff. She sees an apparition of her son and goes to walk to him and falls down a shaft mm. into that drive room, falling into um, that pool of water. Now, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to question anything, but like, if I were to see anything that seemed unusual to me, I'm still going to be looking at the ground and like, where, yeah, where my feet going, like. I want to get to that like apparition of my son, not fall into a great hole. Secondly, why is there a great hole with nothing covering it that falls like 40 feet? Yes. Well, I mean, I sort of thought that, you know, at that point, I don't maybe I'm not paying enough attention, but I sort of thought like, well, it's part of the hallucination that there's a platform going across that. But even if so, I, you know, it still doesn't make sense. Why is there this hole there? Well, it's like, you know, the Death Star. Yeah. Why is there a mile-long hole falling down into nothing? You know, <laughs> yeah. what was this structural component for? The other thing is they go through these tube tubular shafts, right, mm. that are sort of clearly from, like, next generation, you know, where, you know, the, the, it's a bit silly there. But now they're covered with, like, um, you know, circuit boards that yeah. sort of glow, which is like, okay, I mean, you might not want to have that, by the way, over a grate. So, you know, at one point he's holding a little microchip and, you know, I mean, if 
you work with like toys or anything, you know how hard Toolbox. it is to get mm-hmm. everybody. You drop shit all the time. Mm-hmm. So what you want is to set up a grate <laughs> on, on the bottom of that because those circuits aren't important. But she's going through those shafts. And at no point do you see, like, she's somehow ascended, like, 100 feet into the air to then fall down this well. So when she falls down, it's like, where did that hole come from? Why is she now over the room that she just left? Yeah. Yeah. The logistics of this film are questionable at best. Um, It's all very... Yeah, it's the ship itself is. This and this is the problem with this film. It's like again, the concept is actually. We'll get to the concept because I think we could. I could rip this film to pieces from the, from the, from the, from the. I say the uh, actual execution. But it's these things that sort of take something that is good or is potentially good and makes it baffling. And this Alien is the same. Okay, mm-hmm. Alien works on a very similar basis. I still I love Alien. It's a great film. Me too. But it, the difference being, they clearly took a moment and thought, this is a working ship. What would it be like? How would it work? What are the different compartments of the ship? How would we compare this to, say, you know, like a a, a, a tanker ship or something like that? What's the equivalent? How would it work? In this, they've just gone, they've just given a pen to a 15-year-old and gone, draw us something badass. And he's gone, oh, spikes, and I want this to do this, and that sort of thing. And, like, there's no sort of thought to any of that. So, yes. Well, the Um, the lack of thought is pretty key there. Um, And, you know, I would say it goes uh, goes further into, um, you know, the the terminology that's used. So... Um, I always think of uh, Throw Mama from the Train, where uh, <laughs> Billy Crystal plays a, a writing instructor. And as he's reviewing his students' work, he says, like, well, you know, in the future, if you're going to set something on a submarine, you might want to research some of the terminolo- nautical terminology. So, you know, when they dock on the ship, uh, we're, you know, having designed the Event Horizon, which, by the way, these are wonderful names for ships. If you're going yeah. to name a ship, you want to name a ship like Corona Ejecta or something, you know, <laughs> why would, you know, it makes no sense. But he says, that's not a load-bearing structure. What does that mean in space? There are not load-bearing structures. Yeah. I mean, it's... Because yeah, it, there's it, no loads. Right, and yeah. it makes no sense. But even, even better than that is Sean Pertwee's response, which is, it is now... Yes, and it, it never comes up again. Like no. it, it never becomes part of the issue later on when they're trying to escape. Of, you know, it, and again, I can make that comparison to aliens. You know, when they they land the dropship in in the second film, and it, it you know, Ripley comes back up and she thinks that Bishop has sort of betrayed her, and he comes back and he's like, no, the the platform was looking rickety, like it wasn't going to hold the ship, so I had to take off. Like you know, it's common sense. That, this never comes back. Like that would be a great, you know, like secondary shock of like we're trying to escape, we can't, we're tangled into the metal because we've landed on this thing that's not a load bearing structure. Like that should come back to to be a pain. No, nope, doesn't matter. It's just a what it's a it's a it's a complete it's it's dialogue to fill space. That's all it is. Well, um, and I think your point is very well made that it's like we give we gave this script to a 15-year-old and she just says, like, well, how do these doors work? 
doesn't matter. Whatever you need, the script needs at that moment, that's where that corridor goes. That's where, that's how this works. There's no thought to how would any of this actually work in space? How yeah. is, what, what is the floor plan of this ship? How do you not know that? I, it's a bit like the decompression chamber or the or the, the airlock mm. chamber that he's going into you know when that when um, the the one Justin's about to throw himself in space, it gets to a point where there's no override. You'd mm-hmm. never have that. You would have an override up till the last second. Yes. And and why is there a 30 second delay? Exactly. And, and, yeah. Like you, you it's just to give more drama, to give a chance to save him. Also, explosive decompression. Does not cause you your eyeballs to drip out of your face. Like yeah. at the end of Total Recall, uh, you know, like, oh, my eyes are. Yeah. It works because it's Arnie and it's all a fantasy anyway. Mm. This wants to be a more serious movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, mm, does it though? Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's the, that's sort of the problem. It keeps doing these things that when you sort of like you know just poke them a little bit. They just—it's like flake pastry, isn't it? It's sort of like you know, oh, it looks pretty good, and then you put your finger straight through. You know, oh no, it's it's a complete. This doesn't—it's not a load-bearing structure. It falls apart straight away. Um, Yeah, I mean, some of these you don't even have to poke. Uh, (laughs) By the time it hits your brain and you think about what does the term load-bearing structure mean, at that point it's already crumbled. Um, Yeah. Um. Well, but let's go back and let's talk about the concept of this because the concept sort of is it is a literal sort of like um, it centers around it's a haunted house in space. This is this is what it is. It's a haunted house in space. It's it's Hell House or the you know uh, Poltergeist or the House on Haunted Hill. Um, oh sorry, the Haunting of Hill House, not House, not the one. Um, it's this idea that there is a location that is the the place itself is evil. You know, it's that that's the sort of thing, isn't it? It's that evil. That, that is the key um and and I'm, I'm happy with that i'm fine with that putting that in space is an interesting idea that's mm-hmm. that is actually quite a cool idea um i i kind of like the idea that we bring it upon ourselves this idea of introducing this propulsion engine that actually we by trying to go beyond our own um limits we have brought this upon ourselves good let's explore those themes mm-hmm never going to be mentioned really <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I what i i think there is a version of this that's good i mm. i like i as you say i mean this idea isn't bad i don't know why it's in ov- orbit over neptune of all places like it's disappeared <laughs> why did it go to neptune and it's there's mentioned that it's in a decaying orbit you still mm. have to approach at an angle i mean it's yeah. not like something cannot wind up in an orbit accident but more likely it plunges to the surface how has this managed i mean the, you you have to try to make this happen why you know why is it out there none of this really makes any sense but what i kept thinking is there's in my version of this that other dimension that it passes through that allows sort of warp techno folding space right mm would be you know because it's a sort of like four-dimensional reality whatever being is in there isn't satan but is rather some sort of like four-dimensional entity that doesn't understand us 
and doesn't understand how to communicate with us and that we are so fragile. And so if you get to, you know, I mean, I'm doing it already, this thing we do of sort of like rewriting, mm. but which maybe isn't fair. But, you know, when you get to the event horizon, it would be like crumpled in a weird way. Like it's been through something and then you get on it and you see the people crumpled in a weird way. And instead of like it being some evil entity that want, I mean, I know this isn't the haunted house idea, which I do think is a fine idea, but I think it's much more interesting of like, <laughs> we're going to encounter things that we don't understand and that aren't going to understand us. And we are very fragile organisms that did not evolve to go into space. Spaceships are actually incredibly fragile. You have a sheet of metal, just like a plane, mm. right? You mm. fly on a plane and you think there's a sheet of metal between me and the outside, right? Yeah. That's the same thing in space. And, you know, it's it's not that much more complex than that. You can, you know, fill it with air and create all these systems. Mm -hmm. But that would be a much more interesting story. I can live with it being demonic and, and hellish, but that's less interesting to me. I, I agree. The, 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 say, there are two tacks taken in this. And I, I would say there's the the sci-fi tact or the horror tact. And they obviously go down the horror tact. And we'll talk about them. But, but I like this idea you say of this 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 other entity. This, you know, yeah, we we broke this dimensional um barrier by doing this. And in doing so, yeah, we we became um we yeah we were put on something else's radar like they'd never even i mean that that's like that that's lovecraftian isn't it that's that sort of thing of like oh yeah they did not care about us like we were completely below the their um you know radar or yeah yeah their, their concern all of a sudden we're invading their space and i like the idea that the, the ship Maybe it crumpled, but twisted or, or changed in some way. Um, that like you say, yeah, that instead of ice crystals floating around like some bullshit, like you know, and even a drop line that would say, you know, Sam Neill saying parts of this ship have structurally changed, like fundamentally structurally changed. Like these rooms weren't in, these rooms aren't in the same place as they were. When we when we launch the ship, like as if like the thing's been taken apart and put back together, but slightly yeah. wrong. Yeah, like, or, that would be or, fascinating. You, know, you just have like these crumpled rooms where somebody goes through a door and they're back where they started, or mm. they're back, you know, on the other end of the ship, and, and it's like this is non-Euclidean in some weird way. Yeah, like the, the the physics of the ship, the sort of yeah, is all, and that that then makes the idea of that thing of separating the middle almost. Mm null and void like well yeah you could do that but we don't know actually if you do that if we don't know which end of the ship you're actually on like physically we don't know how the inside of this ship works anymore um but makes this a lot more interesting um and then you can start to explore sort of like you say um we'll talk about this thing about the regrets or the sort of like the, the past you know uh then that's a horror trope but have the crew, like you know, have them be haunted by the crew that were dis that have disappeared. Like they're seeing them, and like you know, that's the, it's the crew that's actually coming back and and messing with them, or in some way trying to communicate. Um, and then you get this thing of like you know, we have such sights to show you, kind of like 
Cenobite, or, or even that's yeah, even Lovecraftian of like, oh no, you, you we have seen um vistas of reality that you cannot fathom, you know. Right. And it's that Lovecraftian thing of like, well, seeing this will make you go crazy, right? Like our yeah. brains were not equipped to not just go into space, but to, you know, perceive in these non-Euclidean, you know, four-dimensional ways. Mm. Um yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the idea. I mean, if we're going this direction of those entities, like communicating through these dead crew members that they don't seem to understand how those parts fit together or the yeah. dead is dead, you know, like why, why are we not? They're just not moving. Let's make them move, you know, and they're sort of moving in weird ways. I mean, you have to avoid the zombie trope, but I mean, all of this would be fascinating. And I think that they want the idea of this being just a very Judeo-Christian hell dimension yes. uh, to have Lovecraftian overtones. But instead of being bizarre alien um, god entities like Lovecraft, it's just demonic. Like, these entities are from another dimension, presumably higher than ours. They're powerful. And all they can think of to do is, like, it reminds me of the South Park. Like, let's have a blood orgy, blood orgy, blood orgy, blood orgy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, the thing is, this is the thing where they've watched they've watched Hellraiser and they've completely misunderstood Hell, Hellraiser. They've just gone, because they, they don't even call it, they call it, they literally call it the dark side or the darkness. We're going back to the darkness. And you're like, why is it dark? Why is it going to be like, you know, this, this thing about darkness, this metaphorical thing, it's really sort of played out. But even like Clive Barker, like you know, if you've ever read Clive, you know, Clive Barker, Hell, you know, um, Hellbound Heart, or um, any of the sort of like the books of his early stuff, when he sort of plays with these ideas, it's not heaven and hell. Like he's, you know, but Clive Barker, I believe, is an atheist. So, um, you know, and, and even the Cenobites have sort of, sort of say that, don't they? Angels to some, demons to others. We're just mm -hmm. we're just beings looking for this thing. And they just want to represent. They just for this this film is a, especially the sort of second half. Feels like they want to replicate that um, Hellraiser kind of sort of aesthetic of whips and chains and bl blood orgies and all that kind of kind of thing, but without really understanding what that means. Um, and if it is a hell. And this, this is what I want to get into. This idea of sort of being haunted by regrets and guilt, you know, and this idea and sort of go, okay, so are they, are these people being punished on the ship? Let's explore that. Is this, is it, is it, so, but are they being punished? And again, like there's other, other things that have done this, but are they being punished because they believe they're guilty or are they being punished because they are guilty? Again, we'll go back to the Red Dwarf. Justice did this better. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, indeed. Well, and it's, that's especially true of, like, the wife's suicide. Um, yeah. And, and apparently there are, in that extended cut, I mean, you know more about this stuff than I do, there was a lot more gore. Yeah. There, there, there was this sort of, like, rape in that uh, blood orgy stuff, and there was a more gruesome sort of version of that uh, wife's suicide. I mean, I, I, you know, I having struggled with thoughts of suicide, I always find those scenes especially disturbing. Mm. Um, they really upset me. 
I was upset enough watching that. Um, I can't imagine. But again, it seems like, like, let's make this more metal. How do we make this more metal? It's a hell dimension. And they like torturing people. Uh, One of the things that, so you see the hell dimension very, very briefly in the theatrical cut or the cut, the cut that's available. There's a moment at the end of the film when Weir has been, you know, he's been killed and brought back by the ship. And so Sam Neill now covered in scratches or cuts and he's got his eyes back and whatever. Um, he reveals all this stuff to uh, Miller, the, the captain, Lawrence Fishburne. He grabs him in the head and he shows him this thing. And basically what he says is all the people that have died on this ship aren't, really dead or their souls aren't dead they are now trapped in this dark dimension and being tortured why mm-hmm. you know are they being punished for some sin is it is it a literal are they being punished for the uh, defined sins mm. no for their own guilt like let's be honest the woman who said you know the mother who leaves her son with her ex-husband you know, and she says she can't get back. Yeah, that's all right. She feels bad because she can't be. It's not like she's left him in the street or like in some random home. She's he's with his father. Like, and there's no comment of like, yes, but he's an alcoholic or yes, but he beats him. No, he seems. It sounds like he's perfectly fine. Just you can't see him. And there's other yes. things. And so I'm I'm never entirely sure what they're being tortured for. Well, I don't think there is any reason. I mean, I think that. As you point out, I mean, of the of the three examples I can think of, there's the sort of leaving the son behind. There's mm-hmm. the wife committed suicide. And then there's the, um, you know, the Lawrence Fishburne captain mm-hmm. is haunted by having had to make a choice to abandon a crew member to burn to alive. Yeah. To, right. To save himself and others, which is the correct choice. Mm. So all of them might be haunted, but none of these things are really that bad. But you're assuming there's a reason for that torture. Mm. Um, I don't think there's any reason. I just think these are demons or hellish entities that dig SNS. Then tell us that then. then that there's got to be, and this is where I think this is where the gap is. They show us this dimension. And in the in the extended cut, there is a lot more of this. And apparently it was shown to test audiences and, and the executives who have made this. And they were like, hell no, that's got to go. It's too excessive. You're now looking at an NC NC seventeen rating for some of this stuff. What they some of the this thing I learned, uh, they used porn stars mm. um, and uh, amputees to then sort of get some of the effects. Now I read that, yeah, that's impressive. So that that fascinates me. Um, but the fact that, like you say, so there's a scene, for example. You see it very, very fast, but there's a scene where you see them all over the desk and it's like an orgy and they're doing stuff and they'd set it up to have all these things like literal, literal flesh being pulled off body parts. And uh, and I think there was one where you actually see someone's arm being ripped off whilst they're sort of having sex and all these other bits and pieces. Right. It's like they, they've got a camera in my bedroom or something. <laughs> Saturday night down swaddling coat. Um, <laughs> but, but like it's again this thing of like, OK, but the, so the crew members are being tortured, but these other crew, these past crew, are in some sort of pain, bliss, you know, moment of sort of like sexual cannibalism or sexual carnage, 
that's not torture. That seems something different. So which mm. is it? What is, what is the consequence here? I don't understand what this other dimension is. Yeah, all right, it's just some hell dimension and we basically just torture people. Fine. Just tell me, like, don't you, at least give us more of an explanation. I know it's supposed to be ambiguous and a mystery, but there needs to be some rules. And that's what this is really missing, is it's missing the rules. Even again, going back to Hellraiser, even in Hellraiser, they set up the rules, which is you call us, we come, you are looking for the extensions of pleasure and pain. We will give you that. We're not here as goodies. We're not here as baddies. We are literally here just to sort of, you know, to to take you to the extents of pleasure and pain. Mm -hmm. Great. That's fine. I'm happy with that. That makes sense. What is this about? Like it, it doesn't even have any themes. This idea of guilt or loss or like explore something. And it, it just, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like um, having watched Solaris and say like, well, it's cool that he sees his dead wife and he's haunted by that. Could maybe he watch his dead wife um, kill a baby? <laughs> uh, could we do that for an hour? Um yeah, I mean, I wonder, like, what happened to the original crew? Uh, you know, I mean, it's not clear to me what is a shot of the hell dimension, except for sort of, like, people being inverted and, and tortured. Mm. Like, that's clearly not on the ship. But I felt like my impression was that that the crew of the Event Horizon went crazy and they began torturing and killing each other. And they had a blood orgy on mm. the ship. And that seems entirely different than what's happening to the crew of the, forgive us, Lois and Clark, yeah. uh, which is the name of the ship that goes to the Event Horizon. Um, <laughs> totally different things seem to have happened to these two crews. Mm. So what what is the agenda here? I, and that's the problem. Like, they keep talking about this. And even when... And so I'm expecting like a, either a villain monologue or an explanation or something at the end, maybe or even a demonstration. Show don't tell. What's the end goal? Because they say they're going to because when Weir is brought back, you know, you get naked Sam Neil wandering around all scratched up. All he wants to do is take the ship back into the dark dimension. That's what he's planning to do. He's going to re-engage the gravity drive and take the ship back to the hell dimension. All right. Do it. <laughs> I've got no problem with that because that means you're going away. Right. Like, <clears throat> it doesn't to save two people at the end. Again, like the stakes in this, <clears throat> excuse me, the stakes in this don't add up. But there's no there's no grander threat. At the end of the film, Lawrence Fishburne sacrifices himself to save mm -hmm. two people or three, technically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all because he's mangled and. Yeah, and it all comes down to this thing again of like he won't let anyone in another memory's crew get injured because of what happened before. He doesn't want that thing happening again. All right, I get that. He that's his arc, that's his motivation. <laughs> Fine, he wants to save three people. Uh, you know, but even so, you're like, okay. Fine, save the three people. What's the big I still don't understand what the big threat of this ship is. Well, what I don't understand is if Weir wants to take them back into the hell dimension, right? Yeah. First of all, is that what the this entity or the ship, if it really is alive somehow, was trying to do with the original crew? There's no sign that the original crew was like fighting amongst themselves and trying nope. to stop the ship going back to the hell dimension. 
not clear at all. So why is that now your motivation? You, um, this thing needs because this thing one of the one of the comparisons in my head was the thing mm-hmm. uh, that I thought of this idea of isolation. And I was like, you need the paranoia uh, of, of the sort of of the thing, you know, in on this crew. And the only way to do that is have a sole survivor mm-hmm. from um, the pra- the past crew. You know, whether it be the captain, I don't care. A sole survivor of the last crew, and then people start getting bumped off, and he's you know then you know, he he's becomes... under suspicion, and yeah. he can also narrate like here's what happened. You don't, yeah, man, I'm traumatized. I can't say it clearly, but here's you know you don't want any part of this. We've got to get back to Earth. I've you know we've got to get back to Earth, and it should be then that the, there's a clear threat that if he gets taken back to Earth, hmm. this this manual this this dimension you know. This entity that has now been uh, now spotted us is going. Oh, there's a whole planet full of these people. This could be fun. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I want. You know, that's and it, that's it, a it's, sense of stakes that you're saying is missing yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. And it, but even within the crew, like you want that sense of paranoia, like you know. And instead of it being guilt, you know, you could have guilt, but you could have. You, um, when you have these haunted house films, like they often try and offer you, um. Not just the guilt; they don't want to play on your emotions, but they, they can offer you something positive. You know that sort of like, well, if you come with me, you know the mm. the, the, the Hellraiser thing, all oh, the sights I can show you, kind of thing. Like, or it, even Solaris, like you yes. you can be with your dead wife again. Yeah, and that should be the Sam Neil thing. Like, you know, you should have that conversation of like, we we can bring her back, like we can give mm. her to you. It, but then have that be twisted. Have the the genie twists the wish, mm. you know. And that doesn't mean I yeah, want a I genie mean, in this before any producers here. I don't want a bleeding. I don't want Wishmaster. But but yeah, but it, this is this is all a step beyond what this movie is not just doing, but it's capable or interested in doing. Mm. I mean, this is just a hell dimension. It is filled with an adolescence concept of what demons are. Um, you know, they just like torturing people, just like it really doesn't matter how what the layout of that ship is or how the doors work or how, you know, the escape pod section detaches. Mm-hmm. None of that matters in the same way. It doesn't really matter what happened to the earlier crew. It doesn't matter what the agenda is of that demon. It's just a demon. Why do you need to think about it more? It just likes to torture and upset people. You know, you're looking for a plot, and this is not a movie that's really interested in that. This makes Michael Bay movies look deep. I just have to say. (laughs) It does. It really does. And one of the things I'm most surprised about is Sam Neill being in this, because they bring Sam Neill in for that sort of, like, um, you know, he he adds an element of gravitas. So that seemed to be his thing in the 90s, like, um, post-Jurassic Park, Mm -hmm. like, you know, um, but he's no. The thing is, again, because like, he's no, he's not shy to do horror. Obviously, you know, Omen Three, um, Possession, and also so the other film that I thought of when I was saying this is, is, is In the Mouth of Madness, mm. the John Carpenter film, mm. which ex- actually explores this similar idea of an entity, sort of an external entity, like in that case through through uh, novels, which is much more of a Lovecraftian book. 
but it's supposed to be similar things. And I'm, I'm just surprised at some some point, like Sam Neill's not gone to the edit, the director or the writer and gone, um, I was on this film once that had a much, you know, had sort of some similar concepts. And I think there's some ideas we can throw in here. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I mean, so sort of backing up to sort of nuts and bolts. Mm. Sam Neill is good. Lawrence Fishburne is good. I quite enjoy both of their performances. Yeah. It is remarkable how poorly this is written at just such a basic level. The dialogue is so bad. Like, they get to Neptune, and a character says, like, Neptune, yay! Like, for no reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is also, I mean, a character is named DJ Trauma. Yeah. And there's kind of, like, a wink, but it's not clear, like, is he really named that? Or, like, who decided that? Was that an actor's demand? Was that, I mean, how do you even understand this? Um, there's there's chop as they approach the event horizon. There's chop in outer space. As they, <laughs> and they're not in the orbit. I mean, they're orbiting Neptune, but they're not in the atmosphere. Mm-mm. Why are you calling it chop? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's mind-bogglingly stupid. And the worst example of this is Cooper, who unfortunately, the the token black member of the crew mm-hmm. whose dialogue, <laughs> you know, is a step, a step away. It's like the nineties equivalent of like step and fetch it. I mean, his <laughs> dialogue is like, you know, you know, golly gee, he's got a comment on everything when he is blown away from the, Oh God. as it, which I'm fine with. He uses the cliche of like using his um, oxygen to propel yeah, yeah. him back to, which no, no difficulty finding the event horizon and heading back. <laughs> no, no discussion of how much air you have, momentum. None of those things matter. But he says like, oh, like, oh shit, I'm out here, you know, like blown away from. Why is this always happening? Like, yeah, why is this always happens to me? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's horrible. It is. It's eye-rollingly bad. It really is eye-rollingly bad. And super racist. <laughs> yeah. One of the things it made me think of, actually, another film, because this film sort of kept making me think of other films. And not, like you say, mm. it often cases better films. I'm like, oh, that's what they're going for. However, in space horror, there was a thing in the 90s of like, you know, let's take it to space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Space horror. Uh, Hellraiser did it. Did it uh, with Bloodline. So there's a whole section of that in space. We won't talk about that ever. Um, it's not good. Um, Leprechaun did it. Leprechaun in space. And of course, um, we won't be talking about any of these. Just to confirm, these will not be on the show at all ever. But Jason did it as well. Jason Voorhees. Jason X. Uh, Ghost space. That's season twelve, and we're just completely <laughs> out of options. We'll yeah. do the. We're sorry. Season. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the we're sorry season. Um, Jason X goes to space. And the one thing I would say is, I think that's sort of maybe a year or so after this. Um, there's characters in that. And that, that film is played for humour. Like they play that film for, for jokes. Right. Uh, and it's better for it. It knows exactly how silly it is, that film does. It has, like, a robotic android Jason at the end and stuff. Like, it knows how silly it is. Fine. But the sort of, like, jokey black characters in that, that they know are jokey black characters, are the equivalent of the serious black characters in this film. <laughs> yes. 
and that's the problem when you're like, oh, you're in a complete, you're in a scary movie, like you're in a different film to what you know. Like apart, the only thing, like Lawrence Fishburne, they've clearly gone, oh, you you bring gravitas, like you you've yeah. got that sort of thing. Sam Neill, you'd bring that, right? Now we've got the serious black character. We need the street black character, even though this is supposed to be twenty forty seven, and he's a professional sort of you know it's all very bizarre well that's a that's another point which is sort of what are the qualifications of anybody on the ship right away when you see the crew of the lois and clark (laughs) my first thought is like this is the most unprofessional crew imaginable i mean they're interrupting each other with with non-stop they're immature what was their training what are their backgrounds it's described at one point early on as a rescue ship they are a rescue ship, which is why they have two medical staff on board. But they don't seem to have any sort of like anyone that sort of like, oh, OK, well, we need a, in space because it's a rescue mission. We're going to need a structural engineer. We're going to need, um, you know, speci- very specific skills. This isn't turning up to a car crash or, you know, a burning building. This isn't that kind of thing. This is a space rescue mission you are going to need very specific skill sets to do some of this mm. stuff and yeah it's completely lacking one of the films again all these space films alien resurrection came to mind again of this thing of like we're basically going to just bang these people together and say they're on a spaceship and it's going to work like it was a thing in the 90s you know i blame aliens I honestly blame aliens uh, in 85. Like it came from that. This it built from that. But then it gets to the point where they're like, yeah, we've just got this ragtag crew that mm. don't need to have qualifications and the ship's always barely holding together, but they always pull yeah. it out of the bag. And you're like, yeah, it's, it's, it just doesn't work. Well, I blame aliens for a lot that I don't like in science fiction, mm. um, as you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, going back to the original alien, you were talking about how there's a conception to the look and feel of the ship and what universe this belongs in, that Earth is very corporate and this Mm. is, you know, taking that Star Wars used uh, universe and taking it to the next level. You know that they're just, you know, miners. They're just, you know, dirty people. This is the option that they have. They're not happy about it. What is going on on Earth? that these people have been selected for the crew of a rescue ship to to rescue this very important faster-than-light drive, right? Like, this is a serious mission. What kind of vetting is going on in EarthGov? Like, it's just like, like, we're Starfleet, but we can't get anyone to man our ships. Like, hey, you, straight out of high school, you're in. You know what? What is going on here? Well, it doesn't even explain like who's sending them. It, it, yeah. it, you know, like you say, is it a government body? Is it a private? Because uh, you you assuming that the event horizon was launched by a government, or is it a corporation? Right. Like it's never explained. Yeah. Yes. Who put this together? What was their agenda? Was their agenda to make money in Alpha? I mean, it says they they were intending to go to Proxima Centauri, mm. and somehow wound up again. Why <laughs> in the orbit of Neptune? Uh, well, but, you know, yeah. I mean, if you throw us here's another thing. Okay, you know the planets are on orbits. Okay, yeah. you know, I, I hate this about science fiction. So much science fiction forgets like the planets are in orbit, so they're not in the same position. And it's like as you go out, it's like you're playing the game Gyrus, 
and you just keep passing, you know, like, oh, we're passing Mars. All right, on the way to Earth, you know. Sorry, sorry, you mean that the planets aren't in a single line and just rotating around the sun like a clock, like a dial? Right. Well, it's like somebody looked at a high school diorama and was just like, right, okay. It's, you know, you're going to pass Jupiter on the way to Saturn. No, you ain't, okay? Yeah. The odds are no. And the planets aren't all aligned. Um, but yeah, I mean, this movie seems to forget that. Throw a rock at Proxima Centauri. <laughs> Stop short, you wind up at Neptune, right? And it's going to be in the same. I mean, how did this happen? Who was trying to get to Proxima Centauri, and why? Was this a having like Trek thing, well, or again, this thing of having it on, um, <laughs> this thing of having it circling Neptune with a, with a decaying orbit is supposed to be the reason that they're like, okay, we're in a rush to get there because we don't want to lose the ship. Yeah. So that that's the reason they say at the beginning that, that we have a we have a, a window to go and rescue the ship before it's unretrievable because it was in its decaying orbit. All right, fine, but you don't need that because even if it, like you say this is an experimental drive that has returned and you are getting a distress signal from it, even if that was in in open space just drifting mm-hmm. and the Earth has received uh, a distress signal from a ship that has disappeared for seven years you're still gonna be like you got to get there fast as possible yeah well what you if don't... somebody's alive and yeah, then, you know. we need to check we need to check on the crew we need to be getting and if it is going to be a corporate thing even if it's a government thing we've got stuff invested in this we need to get it back like well, well here's another question how expensive was it to make this drive i mean this mm-hmm. is experimental technology right but you can just make another I mean, there's no indication that this, like, involves unobtainium or something yeah. like that. How, you know, why can't you just build another? I get that you'd want to get the records of why this drive failed, but at no point in the movie do they talk about that. Yeah. Well, or is this the first time this has ever been turned on? Yeah. Because what it the, is. I mean, but even if, okay, so if it is, so they built it. And then it worked for the first. It worked the first time. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, there's this thing again where it's like you know, there's and I don't want a massive long. I definitely don't want this the, you know, typed up bloody screens we get at the beginning telling me the history of the, the <laughs> gravity drive. But well, you need what some we context. Need is to make like, the opening of this as much like the David Lynch doing as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to read you the first four chapters of this book. <laughs> Um, right what what why didn't you launch this with like a robot crew right what was the was there no yeah. test yeah we have satellites we have like you know <laughs> you know these things but now like it, or, or even in the 90s these things have been launched it there's, there's just something to me that says you know was this based lit on on uh you know let's call them you know blackboard physics or, you know, they'd written up this thing on a whiteboard and they had the equations, but they weren't entirely sure it was going to work. This was the first time it was ever launched. Mm-hmm. Okay. That still, to me, sounds incredibly dangerous because, like, it could have blown up. Like, you know, like, you put a full crew on a sh- on a massive ship. <laughs> they were they were going on a mission. Like, what were the what was the testing? Did the test... Like, there's stuff that you can add that's, re- that's really creepy in this. Make we're more suspicious. Hmm. Because they should be asking the question, like, you know, when they start to see shit happening, like, you tested this. Did this ever come up? 
yes, well, during the tests, actually, we did lose several members. We, you know, or several. There was there were suicides linked with the development of the chain, but it was it was a very pressurized um, project. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you give me something that says, actually, yeah, this has been pretty fucked up since the beginning. Well, and this goes back to Alien, right? Where, you know, the Weir character is a mm. yeah, yeah. We we there's a corporate agenda here, right? Yes. Weir should have some knowledge. Mm. Um, you know, even looking at the history of spaceflight, you have some version of this gravity derived device that was tested with like an animal or something. You know, we yeah. tested it with computers that seemed to work okay. You know. It came, the ship came back sentient, you know, I don't know. But we tested with the dog. The dog attacked us and killed itself. You know, there's got to be some history of this. Weir does not have any secret knowledge. And he's played no. like he's a mysterious figure. But there's no mystery there. Well, they keep doing it, didn't they? And again, I, would, I, I was looking for, when I was looking for these descriptions of like the scenes that are missing, I was looking for... Are there scenes of of Sam Neill doing things that are suspicious, like that thing of like you know the the bishop or the um, uh, Ash from Alien, like doing suspicious things, going off to look at a circuitry, going off to collect data, doing something that makes you think they know something more than they do. There doesn't appear to be any of that. Right. It's all it's all about boobs and blood, and that's all <laughs> it seems to be boiled down to. Um, because it's not metal enough to actually provide a decent plot. Um, and, and this is where you say, like, I, I think, honestly, again, like, there's a, the, the concept here is there's a really good film in this. Um, and it could be just as brutal and it can be just as, you know, if you want it to be really gory, you can have it in this idea. Get rid of the Christian, drop the pseudo Christianity bullshit. But, like, if you want to have this idea of sort of like demon and, and, and this hellish dimension, fine, but let's not, you know, don't give it the, the, the religious bullshit just, just give it evilness, but give it, a, give it a purpose. And you could real put a real structure around this. Um, well, or, or if you want to keep, I mean, look, playing devil's advocate, so to speak, yeah. and I'm thinking of that film. If you want to keep the religious bullshit, okay. Has some implication that, this entity from this hell dimension is what humans decided was Satan, you know, mm. has been influencing, you know, human history in some ways. It's right there at the edge of our consciousness somehow. I mean, something beyond just, I mean, I guess there's a dimension that, you know, is very Judeo-Christian and also late interpretations of yeah. Judeo-Christianity, right? Um, that just happens to correlate with that. I mean, yeah, it's the, it's the least interesting of all possible choices. Yeah. Yeah. But even with the least interesting possible, you could do more with this film. Um, and it, like you say, it seems to, it, it fails on some of the most basic core concepts of the, even the films that it's using or the, the plot it's using as a reference point. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, The Haunting of Hill House, mm. you know, you go to the book. Or the the original film, um, the 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 parapsychologist character lies mm. to the people coming to the house. He's saying that we're doing a sleep study, or but yes, or even when he acknowledges we're doing it as a parapsychological thing, like he's always 
there's always that thing of like, no, this is this is something more, or he's brought like Nell in as a, as a specific for a specific mm. reason. You know, they get because they get called out of the blue. Like you need that. You know, why was this crew? So why like I say why was this crew um, chosen? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe it's like even they should say like, look, we know we're the, we aren't the best crew. This is an important. One of them should question this. Right. Like, yes. We we're not the best crew. Like you know, hands up. Why I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, Here's well, what we, I did sign up for. Yeah. Nobody well, says that. Yeah. Or like even like this is above our pay grade. Like mm-hmm. we we salvage like broken mining ships or whatever. Why are we being Why are we being sent for this thing? And then Miller can be like, you know, well, we're the only ones that are available. And then it could come across as actually, you know, you're you're you are fodder. You're expendable. You're, you're expendable. Chosen for being expendable. We, we're sending you because we don't know what's out there. And before we send the real crew, we're sending you first. Like, there's a backup crew sat in orbit around, you know, the other side of Neptune. I don't care. Figure something out. But there's another ship waiting to see what happens, and then they'll come in. Like, you need these reveals to be like, this is important. The Vent Horizon ship is important. You are not. And then as it sort of unfurls, right. And then that should be the end. That, that that crew that comes and saves them should be the ones that are in reserve. And you're like, oh, it's going to mess them up now. Like this right, is so we have to save them. So again, you have an escalation of the stakes. Yeah. Versus what we get. Yeah. Um, and th- th- this is all just basic stuff. Yes. I'm baffled in a in a writer's room, or even in a, you know, in a, you know, I think this is written. I'm going to double check actually, like. Um, you know, obviously we know who wrote it. Uh, sorry, who directed it? Um, Paul uh, W. Anderson. Um, it's you got to be careful with those because obviously there's two Andersons, and if yes. you get the wrong one, it becomes a quirky French uh, film, um, or Resident Evil, depends on. Uh, or, or an artsy uh, film, right? There's P. Right. Anderson as well. That's right. Like yeah. quite like. Yeah. yeah, they'd be a very different Event Horizon. You know, it would. Uh, it would start... I would like to see the P.T. Anderson version of this movie. <laughs> it would be very interesting. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, um, so written by uh, Philip Eisner, who, when you... Oh, my God, yeah. Mutant Chronicles. Mm. Firestarter 2 is his other credit as a writer. Uh, Firestarter film, Rekindled. Rekindled. It was a TV miniseries. And then Sweet wow. Girl. Oh, my God, he wrote Sweet Girl, which was the Jason Momoa... Um, recent one on Netflix, so I've not seen it, uh, not really interested. Um, yeah, um, no. so it's you not know, exactly it, a long resume, no. Um, so yeah, it, it says to me, you know, uh, as right, yeah, that's a yeah, producer, he's got thanks oh. for lots of things, <laughs> and again, you know, start. Yeah, you can you can start with this basic idea. Even if this is a solid first draft of a script, right? I mean, mm. you know, okay, we're gonna you know do a rewrite and send it to some script doctors. I here's another thing I don't understand. Apropos of nothing about this movie, this movie doesn't seem to understand how explosions work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> both times that you have explosions, one on the Lois and Clark as it's set by Weir, who's apparently possessed, and then second on the Event Horizon, uh, which is set by Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you see the explosives, 
there's one explosion explosive on the Lois and Clark. Yep. Instead, it detonates as a series of explosions, one after another, rippling yeah. through the ship. Yeah. Because that's more dramatic, so fuck it. Um, same thing is true on the Event Horizon. You, you've mm. got a series of explosions along this uh, sort of latticework corridor, and instead, it triggers like a series of explosions, yeah. one after another, that destroys the main section of the ship, too. It's like... <laughs> Is, is, yeah. Are both ships rigged with explosives in their hull that are somehow triggered by another explosive? He does, because he does say at one point that we've got, like, um, in the second one that, that Miller is setting up, he does say, like, we've placed all the explosives. And so, okay, I'm going to accept that. But, like, but, it's, but again, all the explosives you've seen are in that corridor, and they yeah. see them when they enter the event horizon. It's a big deal that they see those explosives, and they're all in that corridor. Yes. They're not paced every one foot in that corridor, <laughs> let alone in the main section. Yeah. It, it, yeah, you, we, I think the thing is, we're not people like us aren't supposed to be watching this film to ask these questions. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's true. You know, it, it definitely has that... Um, but it, it has, again, going back to, I think it has like the, the problem of, of stupid people doing things in space. Um, you know, again, like the, the, the things that they have, like, and again, if I'm in space and I, I'm firstly, if I'm taking explosives on a spaceship, mm -hmm. right, you have a big button on there for deactivation that takes you right up to the last second. Sure. Uh, right. You. You. There's no way that you have something that just goes boom. Right. Ten minute countdown. Well, we're screwed. Like you know, I hate these things when they're like, oh my god, we can't deactivate these. Well, that's a really bad design to be taking on a, a submarine or a ship or a plane or a spaceship. Like it really bothers me. But the moment in this when like Sean Pertwee's character sort of like chasing him and grabs the explosive and opens it and it's got like five seconds left on it and he just goes like, oh man. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. like, oomph. Pull the wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there needs to be, like, there's a, there's a stop button on there. Like, it's mm. so irritating that it's just such a cliche that I'm watching it and going, like, it's that eye rolling. Like, I was getting a headache with the amount of eye rolling that I was doing with this film. Well, it's like uh, the complaint about the Starship Enterprise that no one would design a ship with this many ways of blowing up. Right, like, <laughs> like, uh, we hit some neutrinos. Mm. The warm core is going to overload in twenty-four hours. Man, you have poorly designed this thing. Yeah, but at least on the self-destruct sequences, there is a timer that you can stop. Right, that's a plot. Yeah. Um, what I think when I'm going, if I were in charge of NASA, what I'd want to do is take completely unequipped people with no resume whatsoever and send them into space. With, you know, no training, no equipment of note, but an awful lot of C4. Mm. That's that's really the one thing you need when you're heading into outer space. Yes. Well, th th this is the, one of the things that sort of um, bugs me. And again, this is something else about the, the and less about the thing, because as you say, the, what what we're what we're saying is the crew that they've designed is is obviously based on alien that sort of thing. They they're designed to be you know, like blue collar, um, you know, there's, there's, aren't they? They're supposed to be sort of the, 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 
the equivalent would be a tanker ship or like a tugboat or something. That's what they're trying to sort of like get across. Fine. I'm happy with that. Not a problem. But then you need to give us a decent time scale to allow that to feel like it's possible. So this film at the very beginning gives you a bit of a history and it says in 2015, um, the first sort of like uh, operations. On, and this film came out in 95. Mm-hmm. It says that the first the first operation on the moon. Okay. And then sort of like it says something about there's something in the 2030s. And then it says in 2040, the event horizon is launched and it appears obviously in 2047. So the film is set in 2047. So this is still sort of like 50 years into the future beyond when the film was released. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. That's not a problem for me. 50 years probably feels like a long time to whoever wrote this. Yes, but not to get to like where you can have sleep chambers that allow you to get to jupiter like you know mm-hmm. and again i got a question there about the physics because they talk about g-force in mm-hmm. the acceleration i'm like but there's no gravity in space that create g's just turn the gravity off in the ship right exactly <laughs> that um, really bothered me um but sorry that was the, the point was made, like if they were like this film was as 150 years into the future fine i'm probably a bit more going to be like okay they've got to the point in the 150 years where you know we're so used to it that it has become a little bit you know like say we've got blue collar workers that were working on these ships and they work in shifts and all these other things like they'll be more willing to accept that but even within 50 years like you'd still be looking at people that were like oh no you have to have masses of qualifications to get into space and you know it, it just yeah well, well, part of that problem is that you would assume so if, you know, we're not into space all the time. Mm. Why, you know, this is you brought up that sort of crawl at the beginning. Um, why would you bother to tell us and then, ha- you know, hold on the screen 2015? Yeah. You know, why would you bother to tell us about establishing a moon base? Without showing us anything about what Earth is like, we can't imagine, like, you know, how how much have we colonized or have any awareness of the rest of the solar system? What is the technology like? What is this program like? We don't yeah. know any of that. Why have you bothered to give us that one piece of information? It's not, yeah, it's, it's not relevant to the story at all. Like, it tells you, oh, there's a moon base. Is that going to come into play at any point? Nope. Is it under threat? Nope. Right. Why do I care? What does it matter? It like us, us sort of colonizing the moon doesn't impact anything on these ships at all. Right. You know, atmospherics I mean, or anything. It just, just doesn't matter. But it's like this 15 year old's idea of, you know, again, like the threat of, of hell and, you know, mm-hmm. all it, that matters is it's metal, you know, it's the hell dimension. So I have an idea of what hell is. So that's what it's going to be. It doesn't need any further explanation than that. I have seen all of these tropes from Alien and and whatnot. Let's just incorporate it. Um, We got out into space. That's all that 2015 thing is about. Um, And this is our warp drive. And it's our experiment with warp drive. Okay. You've seen too many science fiction movies that you have not thought about at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's it. I mean, the crawl just makes me think of other things, you know, like other like where they've they've given that information, but it's supposed to be relevant. And again, like yeah, this thing of um, the time scales again, you know, even now, like planes, right? A plane or a a large tanker, when those one of the, one of those gets released, it's a big deal. Like mm-hmm. those things, those super tankers that they're not banging them out on a daily basis. You know, it's not a production line where they're like, you know, what Friday afternoon? Why that's another two out? Like these things are huge. And I think with like aircraft carriers, you know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's like two, three dozen aircraft carriers in the world. This is yeah. not something that you just churn out, and it's not a big deal. No, and so even the even the sort of the, the you know the the rescue ship that's being sent out, like. Within 50 years of this film being made, like it's not going to be financially viable to be like, yeah, basically it's the equivalent of a, you know, like a freight boat or a tugboat, whatever. Like you've got to be, th- you know, th- and, and I know again, this is people like you and I that sort of look at these and, and, and criticize it at this level, but it's these simple concepts that just like bother me. Like give it a decent time scale. Well, I mean, I can live with the time scale being what it is. But I don't know why there isn't at least a little bit of dialogue or something that gives us some idea of what Earth civilization is like at this point. Mm. What is the point of going to Proxima Centauri if you don't have a base on Mars or, you know, robots at least or, you know, satellites orbiting, you know, foreign planets or, you know, mining operations in the asteroid belt or something it seems as if we have some sort of moon base. Other than that, we just assemble haphazard crews and yeah. we decide to put a manned crew together to go to Proxima Centauri. Why would you not do that with, you know, a, a robot? You know, these, it's just the utter lack of context. I, you know, I can deal with, you and I both deal with movies that were made. 50, 100 years ago, where their timescales mm. of sci-fi are just ridiculous to us today. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't mind that. I mind not having any idea how technology or human civilization or space exploration or any of this works in this universe because it's relevant to the plot. Well, yeah, no. And before we started, we were talking about some of the sort of, you know, we were talking about other things, and you mentioned Indiana Jones. Oh, and one of the scenes that I like in Raiders, I like lots of Raiders. I like I like Indiana Jones a lot, but there's a great scene in Raiders that basically tells you everything about the arc, and it's 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 an info dump. It is it is it's a it's not you know it's not the best exposition scene. It's not the worst, but it's an exposition scene. It's an info dump, <clears throat> but it's done well because it tells you about multiple elements of what's going on. Like you know they bring up the Ark of the Covenant. You get to learn a little bit about um, Indiana Jones's knowledge. You know, you get to like, you know, he's obviously got knowledge about this. He knows it. He's he's qualified. He's um, so you've seen him kick ass, and now you're getting to see his intellectual side. You know, you see it compares to the rolling boulder of the beginning. That's the point. <clears throat> but it also tells you the arc is incredibly dangerous, and if the Nazis get it, then they can lay waste or the, the belief is they can lay waste to any army in front of them. So whether this is real or not, yeah, we're going to investigate it. So we're going to send you to go have a look. 
fine. Mission go, right? That's the first. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the end of the first act. Off you go. <clears throat> what, you, what you get in this film is some type text at the beginning and then uh, and and then basically a scene to explain the gravity drive using a pinup and a pen where he puts the two bits of paper together and he says the quickest route between two things is this and this and is he zero pen, is he doesn't zero even explain it right no he doesn't even explain how it works it's this idea of black holes which and again i'm not going to worry about science it's the gobbledygook if you can if you can give us something that feels or sounds legit fine but it's not it's a sort of that tampered down thing. But we need a scene again where you are led, you are given some information. All this, all that stuff you need that you need of what happened with the event horizon doesn't need to be typed up. Sam Neill needs to be giving you that information. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be giving you that exposition in a way where, like you say, the crew can then be going, hang on a minute, what are we doing this? All that stuff can happen in that one scene. And then there can be the question of <clears throat> that's where like Miller can be going, like, you know, well, I'm not sacrificing my crew mm-hmm. for some corporate adventure. What you know, what's in it for us? Oh, well, you'll be handsomely rewarded, you know. There's a big bonus in it for everyone that does this. All right, well, we've, we've now got a monetary incentive. And then you go like, wait, what, what is it? What what is it that's so special about this ship? Well, let me tell you about the event horizons gravity drive. Mm-hmm. You know, it it had a really troubled start. It had all these things, but we've been able to talk, do this. Think of the benefits we could. You know, we can now do interstellar travel. We can mine infinite numbers of planets. Blah 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 blah. Off you go. Right. That's all you need, and it's sort of even that basic concept is missing from this film. Right, and and that would be an example uh, or an opportunity to get at sort of. You know, the working class backgrounds. What are you hiding yeah. from us? We're and to set all of that up. Make him um, the other. Exactly. Make him. The, he's the intellectual. He's the scientist. He's the corporate representative. He's the the Burke, you know, of aliens or, mm-hmm. um, the, the, you know, the Ash. Of aliens. Like, if you want to keep that narrative. But loads of other play, other films do it. You know, it always happens that that the other, the character that can't be trusted. Well, and you find out that the captain, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, when he lost this friend who he or this crew member who he Mm. let burn up, it was on board like the Goliath or something. (laughs) What was that? Where was that? Is that a mining ship? Is that a like Star Trek Federation ship that's just still operating in our solar system because we don't have warp drive? I mean, apparently there are these other ships that he served on. Yeah, but you know how was this crew assembled for this rescue ship with people who are so unprofessional? I mean, I don't know how to square any of this, and and we're clearly not supposed to think about it because we're supposed to say that's badass. He's bleeding from his eyes. Yes, exactly. And that's probably what they were saying on set. Oh, that's badass. <laughs> He's bleeding from his eyes. That's a health and safety violation. Please look at set. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it feels there's so many there's so many times in this film where I'm thinking again. It would be tropes, and it's again it shows how bog standard this film actually is. Where I'm like, okay, medical officer played by Kathleen Quin- Quinlan has conversation with Captain about this so-and-so that's where that is addressed you know um you're acting strange captain you know let's talk about the goliath he then gives the story about it which he does in the film but like 
you know, give it this thing, give it the gravitas, give it a bit of a moment. Like all these things can be played out. They're all tropes. They've all done it a hundred times elsewhere. And I, but I don't think this this film is clever enough to be thinking like, oh no, we want to go against the tropes. But if you do, do something else. But you've still got to replace those beats with something else. Right, it's got to make it's sense as a story yeah. and as a context. Um, you know, I mean, it's not just Alien, you know, and Aliens. I mean, I, I like Alien Covenant. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I think it's, it's, it's quite solid. Um, and there is this trope of sort of um, we're being injected onto my ship and I'm the captain mm-hmm. and this sort of command structure, right? Well, that's actually important to this film at multiple points at which Weir and the captain disagree. Who has operational authority? Yeah. You know, nobody, you know, Weir at no point. I mean, they have these arguments and it just seems like, <laughs> again, it's like somebody's watching those movies and they're like, the argument is what's important. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was your, what is your assignment? You know, it's like EarthGov has put me in charge of this operation, Captain. That's never said. How does this hierarchy work? That's said in every alien movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, again, somebody's just watched that and said it's the argument that matters. The structure, the reason for it, what that's, you know, that what is the correct answer, right? Is the captain yeah. contravening his orders by saying, I don't care what your damn orders are. I'm not putting this ship and my crew at risk. You know, uh, throw me in, in prison when I when we I bring everyone back to Earth safely. None of that dialogue occurs. Well, Instead, they just stare at each other menacingly. Yeah, it's not just any alien ship, like any military film. You have a you have a, a war film where you know you know modern ones would be okay. We've got this CIA operative, you know this this G man, this government spook. He's take he's leading this mission, and there's that then thing there. Well, I'm not risking my men for you. And your, you know, subversive espionage. You know, we're proper. We're soldiers. We face our enemies face to face, and all this other bullshit. Like, yeah, it happens in all this. It's a massive cliche. But if it's a cliche, it means it sort of needs to happen at some point if you're setting it up. <laughs> well, it's a cliche for a reason. And yeah. the reason is because you have to establish what characters' relationships are yeah. to each other. And if it if you're on an operation, who's in charge of it? What is mm. the proper chain of command? How does any of this work? Yes, these are the cliched answers to that. But if you want to break the cliche, you have to offer an alternate explanation. Or even if that's just gestured at, so the audience doesn't feel like, golly, I have no idea how any of this works, and you don't seem to care. Mm. But if you really wanted to do, you know, again, this the second half of this film, the 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 introduction or let's say the opening of the gate for the for the hell dimension whatever that is could easily be a turning point like up until then you could set everything up and you could still do it well just because it's cliche doesn't mean you can't do it well like you can mm-hmm. do things well and have a really solid first half and you, you build up tension you can build up those relationships make everybody a suspect for certain things like everybody's got a motivation for whatever's going to happen and then you introduce the, the opening of the hell thing. And then you can, to, if you're clever enough, you can start to turn things on their head. 
you know, that's when you can be like, okay, now I'm going to start to twist some of these relationships. Like, you know, people are being possessed by the corrupt, being corrupted by this this thing that's the ship or the, the the hell dimension or whatever. Right, start to have those things happen. Like, you know, people are starting to explore their deeper, darker desires. So uh, you can do things to start. You know, the the character that you thought was the happy go lucky medic all of a sudden, you know, starts to do some twisted things I don't know, like there's, there's ways of you say hang on a minute everything we've been told you know is it it's just what people are presenting of themselves and exp- oh. you you could do a great film that explores that the sort of the masks that people wear when they're part of work you know sort of like but there's always the real you hiding behind you know well and i think you got to this earlier but what i don't understand is if this really is a haunted house in space which mm. is a perfectly serviceable idea mm-hmm it does not actually present as that at all. I mean, you know, you were, you were bringing up like, you know, sort of like other agendas and stuff, but you know, to me, okay. So let's say you're writing the haunted house in space and you want to say like, okay, the house is alive or it's wants to kill us or whatever. All right. So you should have characters seeing other you know dead crew members and saying like Mm -hmm. well i saw one yeah well we can't find any life signs there's no one there well i i I saw this this crew member somebody's still alive on the ship there's no there's nothing like that there's nothing creepy about this it's not a haunted house it's just you know satan lives in another dimension and he likes blood orgies i mean it seems to me that all of that suspense of a, a proper haunted house story is utterly missing. Yes, I agree. Devoid of it, and I think that is a massive, massive because um, because it is you, you, the setup is totally haunted house. Like that's what they're going for. Like even in the architecture, everything is gothic. They're looking to give oh, you yeah. a gothic environment. Like they want you to go. Like you know, this is some. It's a it's a gothic manor in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they want that aesthetic, so they want you to have that. You say that it, the, the, the the suspense is is missing. Oh, it's missing. That doesn't mean they're tr- they're not trying for it. Because they'll have things like when the when she sees when the the, the medic sees that um her her son for the first time on the table, like he's covered, isn't he, in that sheet, and it's sort of glowing, and then she pulls it off, and there's her son, and he's got these lesions or cuts on his legs, and then he disappears. Um. Like they, they they want to have those moments, and there's obviously the one with the burning um, crew member, and um, Sam Neil sees his wife turn up in some of those sort of like those uh, let's call them Jeffrey tubes or whatever you want to call them. You know, those those yeah. sort of those tunnels. Like they have them, but they are done without any. Um, do, there's a couple of jump scares. They're, they're looking strong, and even they're unsuccessful. But they are completely devoid of tension or suspense or ghost story kind of sort of telling which is bizarre because that's what they're clearly going for Mm -hmm. well i mean i you recently watched midnight mass i'm rewatching hill house and you know i i've kind of been on a horror bet lately and i was reading stephen king talking about writing horror and how much he admires these shows and he said that he, he considers what some people call terror you know, the supreme element and that that is the anticipation of the horror mm. rather than the reveal. The reveal is horror 
And then he says there's a third thing, which is just the gross out. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. So, I mean, this is all theoretical and, you know, take it for what it's worth. But there is no terror in this. No. There is no I'm walking around this spaceship that has been to this place and I'm seeing things. What is that? What is what happened to the ship was alive in a proper ghost story? You think. The ghost could appear at any time. Mm -hmm. What is the ghost agenda? You're terrified of everybody just walking those corridors. And, you know, what is the malevolent intent of this spirit here? Like you were talking about that, the scene with with the sun. It's so clearly just like a hallucination. Yeah. Like it's, it's just like I saw this weird effed up thing. OK, I mean, you know, so what? Uh, yeah. And that, is that so what? You're right, because there's no build up. There's no sort of roller coaster, is it? There's no like, you know, there's no. Oh, oh, oh my God. That, you know, thank God for the release of tension. It's like, it's a, oh, 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 all right, then <laughs> you don't even get the, oh, oh, oh. It, there's no ratcheting up of anything. And again, like. If you're going to build a set that looks like this, mm. it could easily be done. Like even the bloody bridge of the of the the event horizon is all sort of like it's got freaking columns in it, like stone columns are in the bridge. I thought that was so. I mean, well, see, I kind of like that design. Yeah, um, it's interesting. But I mean, it makes no sense on a spaceship how it no. it sort of goes up and has these supports. Um, yeah. At the top of the column, but, but it looks cool. I it mean, does. but like use it then. You know, right. have it where you've got, you know, you need to be looking at that. You Even like the most basic, the horror trope of the bathroom mirror, you know, that thing of like you mm -hmm. open the cabin, you, when you close it, there's something over your shoulder or there's not, you know, which is the sort of the, the fake out. They're not even going for scares on the most basic of levels. Like this is... This is all what what Stephen King is saying. And I, I, that that three tier thing I've I've read before in in uh, the what's it book he wrote years ago. It's all gore. All they want to show yeah. you is look at this a person on fire. Look at this he's ripping his eyes out. Look at this. It's like that's it. Well, the best example of that is you know I mean I I have I have this thing about the, you know my my sort of mocking of Hannibal like um, <laughs> you know and I I love Hannibal Lecter as a character but. You know, especially in that TV series. Um, so so when you left your house to go get the steak and when you came back you know, two hours later to prepare this five course dinner, apparently you went three towns over and crucified somebody in a pentagram with, you know, <laughs> 800 dead birds and the most dramatic thing imaginable. That's just like two hours of time for you. Mm. But I mean, at some point. Um, Weir turns into Hannibal and he is just going around killing people and he takes a crew member and hangs them upside down and their guts are spilled out on the table. Uh, yeah. And it's the most gross. It's like, why did you spend the time to do that? I, I Do you just enjoy? I mean, that is the ultimate example of what you're talking about, about going for that gross out where and apparently there was all this footage that was more mm -hmm. gory than what went in there. But I, again, I kind of admire that. I, I don't have a problem with a lot of gore. I, I think, you know, there's room for that, especially mm. in a sci-fi horror thing that would distinguish it from Alien and other stuff that hasn't gone quite to that degree. But 
why does he, you know, why does he become so preoccupied with staging corpses? <laughs> you know? Well, again, like, this is it. If he's representative of the ship, like, if you, if you, the thing is, again, it could make sense. If you were to give it the context of, like, we are from some punitive uh, hell dimension, you know, where we, there are, there is iconography and there is, you know, th- this sort of symbolism is important, then all right, that would make sense. He would take the time to do that. Otherwise, it just, yeah, why isn't he just sort of left, right and centre, just like popping people's heads off? Or do, like, it makes, I agree there, like, you know, excessive gore can actually be really good. And again, it can be used in really effective ways to get that, oh my God, but it needs to be, you can't just have that. It needs that suspense. Um well, but even in with parts as well. War, you need to know what the narrative is doing, what the yeah. characters' motivations are, what you know, a sense of stakes. You know, I mean, all of these basic structural things of you know, knowing characters' motivations, knowing their backgrounds, knowing what everybody's agenda is, knowing how basic things work. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have explosives or not? Uh, how do these corridors work? I mean, basic things like this that set a tone, even in yeah. something that's gory. Um, I'm not against, you know, hostile in space. Mm. You know, I, I don't mind that saw in space. Go for it. This is not that. Yeah, again, that they're fine if you set them up as that. And I think that's the point. It's the setup and the context and the narrative. Yeah, th- this is going for something else and then sort of jumps into something completely different. And it's sort of even Hellraiser. And let me, you know, that which is a comparison piece, and I'll even use the first two because I, I love the first two films. Um, you know, it, the first film opens with um, a shot of this completely out of context. You don't know anything that's going on, but there are these like fleshy pieces, and then there's half a like a face, yeah. and then you know you get the fingers, you get held, you know, uh, pinhead sort of fingers, sort of like you know, and it, there's a bit of dialogue there. And you're like, what the hell is going on? And it puts you on edge. It doesn't need to be in context. It's gross. It's gory, but it's it, it puts you on edge. There's a point to it because then it fits into the narrative later on that you actually find out that those pieces are Frank, and he is then re um, reformed using his brother's blood. I'm not going to go the whole film, but like it has a purpose. It comes back later on. You're like, oh, that's what that was for. Okay, that's important. That makes sense. You know, and you talk about gore, like again in Hellraiser, like it's not guts on floor but you get the whole reconforming of a body in that like it comes up through the floor and re sort of forms it's amazing but it has a purpose like you know there's a reason for it all and when it just does it in this it's like we're going to show guts i'm going to show this and it's like oh, even on board i'm like oh well, all right fair enough well yeah i agree with you completely i mean you know there's no sense of there's no real sense of stakes, there, but mm-hmm. worse, there's no sense of tension. I mean, yeah. we could forgive the plot making no sense if it was enjoyable, if it yeah. had a sense of terror or tension or I mean, so so a, a, as we're getting you know down to the last 20 minutes or so, what is the why do people like this? What you know, this kind of like has established a cold following. Mm. Why? Because it's more gory. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I yeah, and this was my problem because I watched this years ago, and I was like, oh no, I remember this being quite good fun. I was like, oh no, it's a good fun, silly sort of sci-fi horror film. 
And I think a part of people that say they like it are people that haven't watched it for 15 years. <laughs> you know, but Scream Factory, like they did a special edition release of this. You know, and people were like, oh, there's no director's cut, whatever. Yeah, there never will be. But it did well. Like it sold out. People were buying this and people refer to it as like Hellraiser in space and all this other stuff. And it's like, but I, if you were to take someone and say to them, what is it you like about this film? You know, I'd be interested to hear what people have to say, because I thought I did. I honestly, I will go back before before when I chose this, and I'm very glad I got it for two pound or two ninety nine on on iTunes. So I'm not regretting, you know, having bought it. But I thought I was like, yeah, no, I remember liking this film, and I've now gone back to it, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, no, there's not there's not much to re- I couldn't recommend this. At all, you know, there are much more. So I don't know. Even there's nothing here. It's not even like you know, like you say, gore hounds. You know, you say about like there are certain films that are like excessively gory where people are, oh no, the gore, gore hounds, or there's some there's a particular scene, or it's linked with a uh, an I- iconic IP. You know, sort of like it, I, I don't know. I, Although, I don't. I know. mean, I. I, I guess it comes down to an idea, right? And I guess maybe mm. it is just it being a more gory sci-fi horror piece, right? Of like, well, and, you know, they pass through the hell dimension. You know, I mean, mm. like, that's it's not a terrible idea. There's something in that that's evocative, even though the film doesn't manage to be evocative at all. And I think that a lot of the stuff that I like that I know is bad, I like for an idea that mm-hmm. I that resonates with me or I like the idea of what they were going for, even if it doesn't really work. I mean, there are a lot of movies that I will defend that. I mean, you and I, when we talked about the Terminator movies, I like all the ones that are bad and I like (laughs) them because of the idea that, Mm. you know, there's a version of this that is so ambitious and awesome. Of course, the end result is is not working, right? (laughs) It's far less than T2 and and Terminator one, but I, I get, there's something about it. There's, there's an idea that I dig. So maybe I, the idea here is just that level of gore and mm. going through the hell dimension. Um, but the execution, as you say, I mean, it doesn't work. But not only that, but there's no I can't point to a single scene of that gore that I would say that's memorable. That really is badass. Mm-hmm. You know, like. There's somebody crucified and the blood is dripping on their child who's, you know, <laughs> trapped underneath them on the floor. Like, that's messed up. This kind of wants to do that, but it doesn't. Even for the, even if it was like, um, even if you were to say this was shocking in 1997, then I could understand it. But it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the slasher films and zombie films and other films had done more than this and and got away with it. Um, I mean, by this point, some of those video nasties were, were, were getting ratings and were coming out, you know, uh, by the late 90s. So even by the standards of the time, it's not shocking. Well, I mean, I grew up watching Faces of Death in the yeah. 1980s, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking, like, you know, Hannibal, uh, uh, Cannibal Holocaust and, and uh, I Spit on Your Grave and all these other films that sort of, you know, they, they were shocking in the time, but like, this just isn't. And it's at no point am, am I thinking, e- even the special effects 
there are times when uh, it's an early adopter of CGI and it, it doesn't always look great. I'll forgive that. I don't care about that because that's a fair play for trying it, you know. But this seems like the Burning Man and um, when Sam Neill's gouging his own eyes out. It looks clunky as a yeah. practical effect. It doesn't even look like it's, you know, a, a top level special effect. I didn't have problems with the special effects. I mean, there are times where they look clunky to me, but but there are other times where I think they have that like you could see sometimes the sort of green screen effect of mm-hmm. you know the edge of the model or whatever. Um, you know, I I find that very pardonable. Um, I and I thought that like the ships looked pretty good. Uh, I I was pretty happy with a lot of the special effects. But you're right; they're not anything to write home about. It's not no. like you. Say like, hey, look, this is not that great of a movie, but you got to see what they're doing with the eyes being gouged out. But even the other way around, like there are films that I watch that have like really dodgy special effects, but they have a charm and the film's good. Or there's something. Evil Dead's a good example. Even Evil Dead Two, like you know, it's excessive and it's silly, and the special effects don't always work. But you, but the film's fun, and I go with it. So I'm willing to forgive that. But you need the other side to forgive the other, to give one thing. If it's crap on both sides, I'm a bit like, I'm noticing your poor special effects or the clunky special effects because I'm not engaged in the other part of it. Well, this movie doesn't, I mean, this movie could go that sort of B-movie Evil Dead route Mm -hmm. where it knows it's a parody or it knows it's silly, ultimately. Um, And I mean, it, but it clearly takes itself seriously, but it doesn't know how to present a narrative in just basic ways. Yeah. But what's weird to me is, you know, n- now I'm I'm thinking that has become so commonplace in, you know, big budget movies these days. Mm. Um, you know, in a, in a weird way, maybe this has stood the test of time in part because the standards of narrative have fallen so much um since this film was made no, it's I'm, I, 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 I'm very old and a grumpy <laughs> curmudgeon <laughs> we are very similar in that one but that's no, that, that's very true you know um and i think we've said it before about just really so, we said we said this talking about the twilight zone and we've said this mm-hmm. several times talking about when, when we've discussed the twilight zone for patreon how in 22 minutes to 26 minutes some of those episodes use really, really solid scripting techniques and storytelling techniques to get you engaged, to follow along, and then give you a twist mm-hmm. that's engaging and surprising and fun and everything else. And it's just lacking in when you get to a feature film and you're like, how is it this hard? Like, you know. Yeah. Well, at the very least, you know, I mean, I thought of The Twilight Zone too. You have to know. And I hope everyone is on Patreon and, you know, hearing <laughs> real narrative discussions. Mm. Um, but, you know, you have to know as a writer, you have to know as a director, you have to know as an actor. Think of how silly actors are. And I, and I use that term in, in talking about like, well, I have a whole backstory for my character. Right. Like I've got 20 pages that I wrote up about yeah. like this character's whole yeah. life. And you're like, why did you bother doing that? Like, none of that is going to come out in your 20 minutes of screen time um, where you've got, you know, you know, 80 lines at most. Mm. Um, but 
all you know that only indicates how much it's expected you should know what is a character's motivation why did they get selected for this mission yeah. what is this mission i mean how does this drive work <laughs> where is humanity in in the stars i mean you have to know these things even if you twilight zone knows every character's motivation if you mm-hmm. don't know it as a viewer you will find it out before the end of the episode yes there's an arc for the character there's a proper first act second act third act if you violate that you can totally violate that but you should have a good reason and it's working to create tension or mm-hmm. uh you know breaking the rules for a reason this movie doesn't seem to know any of that and you know it's sad but you know that does seem to be increasingly common in a lot of you know i mean w- what boggles my mind is we watch television that has a much more limited budget we watch independent movies that are made for ten thousand dollars um that know these things how does a movie that's made by a major studio (laughs) with all of the money and all of the talent and i mean that you know this is not my favorite director but but he's directed a lot of movies i mean Mm -hmm. at this point this was like his third movie or something but i mean there is talent here and even the people who we will criticize have a talent and experience that the two of us don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Man. How do you have all of that talent and money and you can't get these basic things? What I always find interesting, you say, you say about modern thing is you often hear in, uh, the junkets, you know, where they sort of like, well, why did you take this role? Well, I, I read the script and I couldn't put it down. You know, I was in, I was just so engrossed. And the only thing I can think of is those stage directions give back, give off way more information than is actually going to appear on screen. That's all I can think of. Or not all of it gets filmed. Or they're talking crap. It could be one of those. I don't know. But yeah, you, you, it's so, you know, you and I have talked about this, you know, off and off, off, uh, off air when we talk about modern films and we're like, modern blockbusters and he's like yeah the plot doesn't really make a great deal of sense like they they're just certain things they've got to put in there and doesn't add up and it's driven usually by some contractual thing of like there's two stars in it and they've got to have the same amount of, of screen time or you know, we've got to have this other thing. We've got to have, we've now got to have a spin-off, so we've got to give this other person that moment. So there's got to be a scene for them. So we've got to add that in, and that detracts from the plot. And, you know, we may want to create this into a franchise, so you've got to go off and show some of the wider world, so we've got to do that. So all of a sudden, the plot technically takes 30 minutes, but everything else we've added in now takes it to over a two-hour film. Um. And yeah, it's that sort of thing. I think that that sort of becomes um, it, it's lo- loaded, isn't it? Blockbuster films are now loaded with a pressure to become bigger. Um, and like you say, there's just smaller films that are just don't have that, maybe, or I don't yeah. know. But yeah, I mean, one thing that I that I find myself thinking about because I do feel like this is a film that is in love with sort of, you know, the haunted house in space, Hellraiser mm. in space, it's going to be g- g- gory, you know, that's badass. Um, you know, I think about years ago, there was a story about Marvel Comics and at one of their retreats where they were planning a crossover, 
somebody said like you know look if you kill this character that's a big deal that's like killing electra you know you will be famous forever and there seemed and nobody in the room said like well what matters about the death of electra is that she had been introduced years before she was powered up matt mordock's story it was this painful love story that could never be and she dies you know on his doorstep mm. uh you know having not been with him but in death wanting to reach out and have the life that she never had you know you and i love stories that are small stories and yes. one of the reasons that they work is because they sell it mm. you can have and twilight zone most of those are small stories mm. you can have a story in which somebody does the most minor thing they they kill a person or they you know instead of a whole universe you know the stakes aren't high but it's been so woven into the character and into the plot that you really feel it and it really so sells it. So much of what I don't like about, about movies and narratives is where somebody says, um, yeah, you know, like, well, this character can also shoot force bolts from their arms, you know, and seeing <laughs> Brie Larson do that, that's going to be badass, you know, and you think, yeah, but how, how did they get that power? Well, it doesn't matter. You know, nobody cares about that. They don't come to movies to see that. Um, and you could do a silly movie like that, right? With, you know, Hitler riding a dinosaur or whatever. I'm <laughs> all for it. But this movie isn't that. And I think that this exemplifies that sort of, all right, it's going to be gore. This is, you know, the badass metal stuff in space. Even the drive room has spikes on the walls and we're going to we're going to design this like a gothic cathedral. And you think these are all cool ideas, but they have to be embedded in a narrative. They mm. have to be embedded in, in character and choice and theme and meaning. And this is a movie that has almost no narrative, almost no characters, almost no theme and yeah. not any good sort of, um, you know, Mad Max Fury Road sort of. Way. chaos or, or gore yeah the only thing i can think of as you've been saying that so i'm thinking about what year this came out this came out in 97 and so you're talking sort of like you know towards the end of the 90s but within the 90s you'd had the image revolution so you know you had the extreme comics and um films have sort of gone down a similar path there was you know uh, this idea of the 90s were extreme everything was in that way cartoons i mean you had the we talked about Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters follow-up cartoon was called the Extreme Ghostbusters. Like, it was ridiculous. It wasn't extreme. It was like a, just Ghostbusters Next Generation. But 97 also introduced the um, the sort of in wrestling, you had the um, cross, what's it called? Like the, the, the Attitude Era, where again, mm. it was all about being extreme and what can you, what boundaries can we push and how badass can we be? And it just feels like that was the ethos of this era was it wasn't the, that thing about narrative i thought you said that doesn't matter we're gonna rob life out of this we're just gonna have big guns and masses of pouches and it'll look cool and that's what this film is it just it seems this film personifies the 90s or that mid sort of like 90s so much in that like the, when you hear about what was on the cutting room floor is oh yeah when we had like uh, amputees so we could pull off like fake arms and we had porn stars so we could actually have like real sex scenes where they were being having bits pulled off them and gouged out and you're like nothing more sounds more 90s than what you are telling me right now <laughs> this is a very good point 
right? Like none of those scenes that are missing are like, well, we did have a 10 minute scene where they were explaining <laughs> one of these characters is Catholic and yeah. they really struggle with what they're seeing. And it really tries to get into the theological implications of a hell. No, no, no. What's missing is like, dude, you, you know, the guy's pulling a vein out of another dude while they're having yeah. sex. <laughs> yeah. This is the kind of film that I could imagine Beavers and Butthead sat there going, like, uh, eh, uh, like that's what this is. Um, and, 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 you know, it's sad to go back and watch that, to be perfectly honest. And go, oh, that's what it was. Um, well, it only makes me appreciate, you know, we just did Strange Days. Like, yes, for all of its faults, and, and it has many. I mean, Strange Days is an ambitious movie that, you know, like, could not be more at odds with this extreme 90s, you know, mm. sort of thing. Well, it's interesting. And I think, that, you know, this is an era we will revisit, I think, in the, in the future, because we've got Gattaca. Uh, next which is also you know a late 90s film um and is again yeah very different asset and i think the science fiction sort of mostly avoided that Mm. that that extremeness you know you get a bit of it but it it mostly avoided it in this era you know existence and um johnny mnemonic have those sorts of 90s things in there but again not so much but yes I think I think I think we've we've, we've talked about we we we've we've given this film more attention than I think it actually really deserves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm not sure why why they if they were going to go that direction, why don't you cast uh, Dolph Lundgren as the scientist? Yeah, um, I mean, there were ways you could go more extreme here. I you know I don't know. I, the, the, I, I find this be... a very confusing movie. Yeah, this, this film should have had either a basketball player or a rapper in it to really sort of hammer home how extreme this thing was. Dennis Rodman should have been um, DJ Trauma. Um, Am I the only one who, like, do you, you know, sometimes I watch movies and I feel bad for the actors who had to yeah. say these lines. I feel so bad for this guy who plays Cooper, who's like, you know, you know there was a conversation with that director. It's like, really? I, I have to say, like... Yo, man, I, I'm back at the shit. <laughs> like, do you really want me to say it with that accent? Like, can't I tone that down a little? What's funny is Scream Three came out around this time as well, or just shortly after, and addresses exactly that because that's about being in Hollywood, and they have a black actor in that. It was like you're giving me these lines. I'm not comfortable with these lines. So that even a slasher film addresses that and how silly that is. So. The fact that like Jason X is parodying that, and then mm-hmm. the Scream films are going, yeah, no, this is silly, and we know we need to address it. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. That's three Scream movies in. Like these yeah. tropes have been deconstructed for a long time. Yeah. So yes, this this film really does miss the point. I think of of what it could have been. Anyway, we will finish there. So any final? I, thoughts? I have to conclude. Oh, yeah. My final thought is. You know, you have introduced me to many films that I have, I love. I, I am so sad that I didn't see earlier. I thank you. I love doing this podcast. I love talking with you. You have managed to find or force me to watch, again, a movie that makes me long for Looper and its <laughs> narrative cohesion. I'm going to balance that out with we. I did introduce you to the director's cut of Little Shop of Horrors, so yes, you know, 
and the man who fell to earth. I mean, yes. both of which I will yes. thank you for forever. So I'm, I, you know, much like the hell dimension, I give with one hand and take with the other. So <laughs> I, I, I had an orgasm, and then the flesh was ripped off of me. Yes, exactly. Yes. <clears throat> um, that that's that's going to be a, a, a deleted scene for the podcast. <laughs> that'll be on the cutting room floor. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening. This has been a fantastic conversation around Event Horizon. And I do know this may be a contentious conversation. There will be people that hopefully will come back and say, hang on, I love this film because if you do like this film, seriously, come and tell us why. I'm fascinated to find out why this has become a cult film, as, as Julian says. Tell us why you like this film. What is it that stands out? When was the last time you saw it? Do you own the special edition of this film? And, and you know, does it stand up for you? Um, come find us on it at Pod Time Space on Twitter. And if you really like what we're doing, go and leave a review on any of our podcast catcher platforms, Apple, Spotify, all the others. Um, and if you really like our discussions, uh, you can find Julian and I on a weekly basis giving our discussions on The Twilight Zone. Uh, we, we've we recorded all of season one now, um, but we're about halfway through it and just over halfway through it on the releases. So there's so much more to go. So many more seasons, so many more discussions. Go and find that at patreon.com slash 20 cg media and you only need to be at the lowest tier to get that weekly treat but there's so much more on there but uh yes julian this has been a great conversation the conversation has been 10 times better than the film i was just going to say the same thing my friend yeah <laughs> so um i appreciate that it has made watching event horizon <laughs> worthwhile <laughs> Very few things would. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back soon. And uh, yeah, the next film in our catalogue is going to be Gattaca. So looking forward to talking about that. Uh, we'll see you soon. Bye.